What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points, a Canis Hoopers podcast, brought to you proudly by SB Nations Podcast Network. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. You can find my written work over at canishoopers.com, or you can follow me at Jake Painting on Twitter, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Today, I'm joined by a Wolves extraordinaire, a good friend of mine, and the fearless leader and site manager over at Canis Hoopers, the one and only... Kyle Tigey, what's going on, man? How's it going, buddy? Um, how's everything over there with um with lockdown and isolation and whatnot? Uh, you know, we're surviving. Uh, I, a lot of people are trying to get kind of antsy to start getting out. So a lot of a lot of the states over here are starting to let people phase into getting their hair cut and getting some food. But um, it's kind of a crazy situation still. But I'm glad that we have basketball to talk about. So or at least uh, the the past season to talk about. Yeah, definitely. It's that's kind of the only thing keeping keeping me going at the moment. So it's good to. I've obviously been watching a lot of the draft stuff, but it's good to get back into some actual actual Timberwolves stuff today. Um, we're going to talk about our hows and growls for the Timberwolves season, which is pretty much just our likes and dislikes with a Wolvesy name. So let's just jump right into it, I guess. Um, you can go first with your first how. Yeah. So my first how was uh, you know. A lot happened at the trade deadline uh, with the Wolves, and I obviously I think a lot of people were most excited about getting Russell and getting Malik Beasley. Um, but when I, I was looking back today on Twitter, I just went to Woj's Twitter account that day, and like it was pretty under the radar when the Timberwolves just were like, oh, we're also going to just kind of flip Gorgie Jang for James Johnson. Um, like Fans were so excited and in such a great mood that I think it kind of went under the radar, and then Johnson came right in right away, and was kind of a cult hero for the however many dozen games he played before basketball was suspended. So uh, I just kind of named this the James Johnson experiment. But as everyone knows, him and Gorgie kind of had the same deal for one more year for next year, uh, about the same money. But I think with what Rosas wants to do, he just wants to have those kind of multi-faceted players that can, you know, play a little point, guard some guys on the wing, kind of be an enforcer uh, next to Towns. So I thought that was like a sneaky good pick or a sneaky good move that we don't really, we haven't really had the chance to talk about much. Um, but it just made sense. You can't pay a guy like Gorgie how much he had when he does exactly what Towns does, but not as good. So that was my first haul. It was just, uh, I think it was a pretty sly, sneaky move to bring in a veteran adult. And that's what this team needs. Um, yeah, so that was my first one. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, I think, it, and it's pretty hard to to replace Doggy Jane because he was such a cult hero, and for Johnson to come in straight away and just you know take step straight into his boots and become a player that every fan really liked watching. I think, like you said, versatile does a lot um, on offense and defense. He he plays the point a little bit. He can enforce. He's a really good defender. I think that was a really good move. I really agree with that. Um, the, the my first one was the way that Cat was used, at, at least on offense. Um, he dropped. I was looking at it last night, and he dropped actually dropped zero point two percentage points in his usage rate, which kind of surprised me a little bit. But it was the way they they used him that was so much more effective. As that that linchpin at the top of the key, allowing him to to launch threes and and play make from there. He shot. 7.93s a game, which was up from 4.5 last year, and then still managed to to rise his percentage up as well. That 
like I said, the, the passing ability was on show a bit more with, with more space in the lane for cutters and for, for other guys to move around. I think it limited his offensive rebounding a little bit, which kind of hurt his overall rebounding numbers. But that's the price you pay, I guess, to kind of maximize the offense. And especially around him, I think he'd been the best player on this team for a long time, but in the Tibbs era... He kind of was never treated like he was the best player, even though Butler was was better at the time. But he was never maximized at all in the offense, and I think that's the biggest check next to Ryan Saunders' name was that he was able to make Towns look really good and get the most out of him. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, what's your next one, man? My next, my next howl was uh, you know, it's weird to like we're two months. I think we're almost like two months removed from the last time the team like play the game just under two months. Um, so usually that's like, we're talking in like June or July, kind of getting ready for the draft and when summer league starts. Um, but this time it's just because of the, the coronavirus and everything that happened. Uh, we kind of forgot some of the guys that were really starting to come on right before this all ended. So mine was the development of Nas Reed a year ago at summer league. I, it was a common tweet and common joke to just be like, Nas Reed can't jump over a piece of paper. Like he, he didn't just, he, you know, he was an under, or a undrafted free agent. They brought him in right away. They they clearly liked him because they pounced on him right when the draft was done. Um, and you didn't really know what to expect. He was highly recruited out of high school, had a year at LSU, um, which isn't great because, as you saw with Ben Simmons, uh, a friend of yours, he they don't really <laughs> develop players there. They just kind of get him in. Um, so Nas kind of just disappeared at LSU for that se- season, which hurt his draft stock. But the Wolves clearly, their scouting departments had – has been beefed up since uh, Rosas took over. Uh, and they brought him in, and he, he's kind of cat-light in terms of he has a smooth a smooth jumper. Uh, his feet barely leave the ground, but he just jacks those threes. I mean, I remember the first or second game he came in, I thought he took like 12 three-point attempts or something. Um, yeah. And he, but I, you can see the athleticism. Like, he's what? I think he's only 20 or 21, but like, he's physically becoming an NBA player. Um, and as our friend Dane Moore, who's kind of my, my cap guy, uh, writes about all the time, he's on the cheapest contract you can have in the NBA. So like as the veteran minimums go, like he's making less than a, a million dollars and he signed for, I believe the next three seasons. So his development, if that continues in the, you know, the opposite of, uh, flattening the curve type thing, like if that can just continue <laughs> to go up, um, he's a steal. I mean, you're paying a, a role player that can give you 12 to 15 minutes off the bench, less than a million dollars. He's basically like not the defensive presence that Gorgie was or the adult or the, the veteran leader, but he can do a lot of what Gorgie did and you're paying one fifteenth of how much that's huge. That's huge when you're trying to build a team and, you know, 75% of your cap is going to probably go to, you know, a trio of Russell Beasley in town. So the development there is awesome. I mean, everyone's development is stalled now. Um, when we're all kind of on lockdown, but if you can get Nas back in the gym and keep that, keep that athleticism going, um, I think he could be a massive piece to back up Towns and be Towns insurance, uh, for next season. I think that that contract is a really underrated part of him. Like, like you said, with how much you were paying Gorgie and how much you're going to pay Towns, Russell and Beasley, you just to get a backup player like that at a really, cheap deal he can just give you spot minutes he obviously 
wasn't really ready to be a starter in the league straight away like he was kind of thrust into with Towns being injured. But that experience is going to be invaluable for him getting to play against the best fives in the league and then trying to kind of hone his game and, and mirror how, how good those players play is really huge for him. I think I've always been lower on Reed than, than some other people, but it's hard to deny the value he brings and the potential he showed as an undrafted free agent. It's it's easy for, to forget when you're in the middle of a, a losing season and everything's going wrong. And how I was just going to jump in. I was just going to say, like, it is important because I'm with you. Like, some people I know that I'm friends with are a little lower on him, but, like, the fact that he's not even 21 yet, I mean, you could you could say a lot about where would Nas Reed, where would this version of Nas Reed go in in this NBA draft? Um, yeah, I, I think he'd be a first round pick, probably a late first rounder at best, because this draft's just so bad. And especially now that you've seen what he can do, I think he definitely proved he's better than an undrafted free agent. I think he had one of the highest player impact plus minuses from all. Uh, draftees this season and coming from a guy who was undrafted didn't he was good at summer league but he didn't blow the socks off anyone I think if you get you get a player like that you get him on a four-year deal for under a million a year team options every year I believe as well so at any point they can they can cut him loose if they feel like they have more cap to sign a better center or he doesn't work out I just think that's a it's a really rosas move and a yeah. really smart one and I, and I think without stealing, I don't want to steal your thunder here coming up uh, for another player, but I think more so, however you feel about Nas Reed, if you think he can get better or translate, I think just the concept of Nas Reed is what every Wolves fan should love, is that the Wolves didn't just have their couple picks that night and, you know, trade up for Culver and then start celebrating. As soon as it was over with how undrafted, free, or undrafted rookies work, they immediately got him signed. They got a basically... They're almost ripping him off in a sense of like every year they can pick up his contract or let it go. It's all non-guaranteed. Um, but the fact that they identify talent and can develop it at such a cheap thing, I mean, that is, and I know people hate the Rockets comparison, but that's the Rockets model. It's getting stars and then finding cheap talent and then getting that talent to play up a level or two and putting those pieces around your core. So I think his development's awesome. I, I hope he continues that transition towards being a you know a backup center but um but just the concept that i mean what we i think tom thibodeau has like used his 10-day contract like twice in his time that he was here he just didn't care about development he didn't care about bringing guys in and working them up he just wanted to grind guys out and uh for rosas to already be hitting on those types of moves and then i think one of your favorite players are coming up uh i just that's massive so yeah i think i think it's 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 a huge deal and and he it's such a it's such a low bar relatively because he's because Towns is there he doesn't ever need to be that star if you can just get him to be a decent backup you give one on that contract and if you get him to be even more then you've hit the jackpot um all right we'll go into my th- my second growl which is um Josh Okoji the way the way they use Josh in the new system I think at the start of the season I was pretty low on Okoji I think I came into the year really hoping that that his deficiencies, his shooting and his ball handling could get a bit better and then it would all mesh really well with that that point of attack defense that he's shown so often. But I was pretty disappointed that it hadn't seemed to really improve at all at the start of the season. But then once the trade deadline passed and the, the team was completely overhauled, I think you could see why they stuck with him. 
with with way better shooters around him, a ton of spacing that allowed him to cut, grab offensive boards, um, just work his way in the middle, get really easy shots rather than having to force threes when when other teams didn't really have anyone that they had to focus on more than a Cody because everyone couldn't shoot threes bar Carl Anthony Towns. I think before the deadline, I had a look last night, he, he averaged 8.5 points on 40% shooting, 24% from three. After the deadline, he averaged similar, still nine points, but 50% shooting and 35.5% from three on two threes a game. So that's that's huge for him because I think he he got even better defensively after the trade deadline too because he was the light was, was shined a bit brighter on him, having to guard point of attack point guards and, and shooting guards with with Beasley and Russell both struggling to defend to defend, to defend really good ball handlers. So I just think I'm not sure how sustainable his offensive efficiency is, but it's certainly more likely to to trend upwards in a system that, that fits him way better and that kind of covers his mistakes and plays to his strengths. Yeah, and I think I think it's important to mention with him is that uh when, as you said, when they did Extreme Home Makeover Wolves Edition and they got rid of everyone, Josh became the second, I think, tenured player on the team. He's only five months older than Jarrett Culver. Yeah. So, like, I know, I mean, I know everyone is like, well, if this, if we could just teach person X to shoot, they'd be great. I know every team thinks that, but like, if Josh can just kind of, I mean, his jump shot is a much better looking jump shot than whatever Jarrett's working with right now, but, um, that's just another big thing. Like, he's only 20, 21. He doesn't turn 22 until September. Like, he's on a, a nice rookie deal. Um, he's going to be a big piece because as we'll talk about, I'm sure in a little bit, like, if they keep running these really elaborate offensive systems with guys like Russell and Beasley and Towns that aren't really known for defending, they're going to need just so much help on the wings with defenders. And Josh is, you know, probably their best one. So. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on Josh. If you're selling Josh a Kogi stock, I think it's definitely a smart one to buy. Um, but I, th- I think he's going to be a really important piece as the second, you know, longest tenured wolf, which is also super depressing. To say. <laughs> you could see how much they valued him just by him starting at the three with Beasley and yeah, Russell. Because yeah. he's six foot four and he's not a small forward in anyone's book. But the fact that he could start there and still hold his own and it still allowed him to to play on on the best ball handler from the other team. Like you said, that's that's a huge, hugely valuable piece to have. And I just think offensively, when they when they remade that system, or not remade the system, but brought in players who, who fit the system better, it just helped Okogi so much. And I think he'll be a really good player. I still expect him to improve his shooting and to improve his ball handling and to kind of become more controlled as an offensive player. And as he does that, he's only going to grow in value. And I hope that they don't use him as trade fodder because I just think he's a really good piece on this team, especially around the, the great offensive players. He can just do all the dirty work and be that hustle guy that, that brings the energy when sometimes maybe Towns or, or Russell are lacking it a little bit. So my third howl uh, is just a one-minute kind of mini rant on just Everyone, you know, I, I clearly drink the Kool-Aid. I'm an optimist. Uh, if you read my stuff at Canis, I'm just, I can't, I can't follow the team if I'm going to have a downward view on them, even though there are things that, and we'll talk about this with our growls that I don't like. Um, but I've, I, uh, I've just been refreshed as 
someone who, this is a side tangent, but like I studied business for all these years, actually, as you know, went to school in Australia for a little bit and studied business. So I like like organizations that are professional. Um, and throughout my childhood, there was like, you know, the kind of the McHale era Wolves when he was running the show that was like, you know, just a bad team, um, kind of towards the end of Kevin Garnett. And then when Flip came in, they had kind of that more college mentality. They were young. They did their uh, dunks after dark type thing. Just a real big college program. And then Tibbs comes in and it's a disaster. It's just hell. Everyone hates being there. Um, and now Rosas comes in and that's my third howl. It's just everything Rosas has done. Um, not every single move has been a home run, but I think he's just brought a level of professionalism. Um, you know, I, I thought it was one of the coolest things from the season that kind of sucked was, uh, when they traded Robert Covington and then there was that, I can't remember who they played. Maybe you do, but, uh, all of a sudden we're watching FSN and Robert Covington sitting next to Rosas because he was back in town. That's huge. That's a, that's a huge kind of check in Rosas box in my opinion as well. Like that, that, like those things as silly as they may be. And there's no analytics to friendship, but those things matter. Like though these guys talk, these guys are friends with each other on different teams. And I think if they can kind of wipe away that stigma of Minnesota, um, cold, you know, lousy team, lousy organization. Like if they can wipe that away by some of the other things, like I know we made fun of the Bahamas trip because everyone that went there basically flew to a different city after it because they were all traded. But <laughs> I mean, that stuff really does matter. So the fact that he's come in and then that's just the, you know, the organization side, the moves he's made. I mean, whether or not the Russell thing pans out, I just don't think there's a lot of GMs that could have made that week of trades happen. The Beasley one, you know, trading out Rocco, getting a pick, getting Beasley, and then some of the minor guys like, you know, Hernan Gomez and the smaller pieces. But I don't, you know, for the longest time, we were told that Andrew Wiggins wasn't tradable and Rosas in six months was like, nah, watch this. And he flipped him and he got a real asset. Now, will that player help them win? I don't know. But everything he's done, he's been pretty upfront and honest. Um, but just his care for the players, I think once we all get back, um, and we start playing basketball again, I think that's going to really start to blossom. And you'll see that that's important. Like, it matters that these guys know that the front office, you know, if you're watching The Last Dance right now, when you hate your front office and you hate Jerry Krause, it affects your team in one way or another, backstabbing, all that stuff. I think the Wolves are probably the most united they've ever been. They still suck in the wins and loss column, but <laughs> um, I believe that he can turn this around and he gives them the best chance they've had, so... I don't know. I don't know what you think. What are, like, what are your views of him halfway around the globe? Like, have you liked everything he's done? Or? Yeah, I'm pretty on board with, with Rosas. I think, like you said, it's it's so important to have a good foundation in the organization. And I think for so long, not only is the cold weather and, you know, the, the living circumstances the problem with Minnesota, I think it's more that the organization was just a renowned mess. And that's big for players, I think. I don't, they don't want to walk into a place where they don't feel comfortable in the in the people who are running the show. And I think Rosas has immediately bring that that sort of comfortability. I don't know if that's a word, but and it shows to the players that they have someone who they they can confide in. I think it seems like Carl Anthony Towns is really close with him. It seems like he's made he makes a real effort to go above and beyond for the players. I think that was there was that article. Um, the other day with Jared Culver, how they they found him a, a house to with a hoop in it so that he could shoot during isolation. I think that's not something that a lot of 
organizations would go out of their way to do. And I think he's made it a real point of emphasis to come in and make this a family type team. And then that'll translate eventually, hopefully to the, to the win column. Like you said, that the, I'm a big fan of the Russell move. I'm not, I'm not really, really high on Russell like some people are, but I think I think he's a very good player. I think he's a good fit for Towns, especially offensively. And I think it was a good move to try and keep Towns happy. You can't keep losing your star players over and over because even if you do all those things off the court right and you make it a family environment, if your best player leaves every four years, then it's that's still what's going to stick in other players' heads. No one's ever going to come to Minnesota if they think, well, Jimmy Butler left and... Kevin Garnett left and Carl Anthony Towns left. So obviously there's something wrong from the top down. So I I definitely agree with what you said. He's He's been a big part of this uh, team's future, I guess. And it'll be interesting to see what he does this offseason. I think this is a really big offseason for Minnesota. And I know from, from past experiences, I guess, that Rosas is going to swing for the fences and try everything he can to make this team the best he can make it pretty much immediately. So I'm really interested to see how his his growth as a as an owner, uh, sorry, as a president of basketball operations continues to to go. And and you know, there was a this is a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw this, but um there they did like a State of the Timberwolves type thing. It was on like AM radio. Um but I was talking to, to Dane about it. But uh Gerson talked in there about how they have three picks in this draft and you know he he uses a lot of the same terminology again I hate to beat a dead horse here, but like that the Rockets use in terms of assets and looking as players as pieces and stuff. But that's why when I circle back to that Rocco thing, like Robert Covington knew that he was just an asset in the eyes of Gerson Rosas and a piece. And he kind of knew he was being shopped and the rumors were there for weeks. But the fact that a player can know that he's a, a you know, a pawn in, in the grander schemes of things, but still have that connection. I think we'll talk about that more down the road. I think we'll look back at that. That was a really big deal. Like, Building relationships with players, even if you're like, hey, the best thing for you, Robert, is to go play for the Rockets and contend right now, that's going to come back to benefit them. And it's going to come in free agency. It's going to come in, you know, workouts uh, with uh, rookies or, uh, you know, prospects down the road with drafts and we start having that process come again. So I can't say enough about the good things. Obviously, not all perfect. Obviously, the team is, like I said, still has a lot of holes that we'll probably talk about. But um, it's just a breath of fresh air for guys like you and I after what we had to go through with Tom Thibodeau. So. I think on Robert Covington and on him coming back, it's just it's so easy for a player who's just been traded to to never speak to the to their former executives ever again. Or even if if they are still still buddy buddy with them, just give them a call or give them a text and ha- and have a conversation that way. But to actually come to the game knowing that you know he's gonna be plastered all over yeah. social media and stuff yep. for sitting next to the guy who just traded him. That shows just how much he respects him and how much uh, the the culture that the Rosas has built. So yeah, that's, that, that's huge. Um, my third one is, I think, would be remiss to leave out Jordan McLaughlin. Uh, McLaughlin, sorry. Yeah. He um he was just so huge as a two way, probably the best two way player this team's ever had. He he was an unreal investment. He. Honestly, there's a there's an argument to be made that he was better than Tyus Jones and Jeff Teague, which is which is a ridiculous thing to say for a dude who you know he's getting paid seven he got paid seventy seven thousand dollars this season. 
talking about investments with, with Nas Reed, 77,000. He played, uh, I'm not sure how many games he played exactly, but after the trade deadline, all 14 games he played, 9.6 points, five dimes, only 1.4 turnovers per game, shot 56.7% from the field and 45.7% on two and a half threes per game, which is like jaw-dropping numbers for a guy who's getting paid a salary that, that most people would be pretty happy with in their normal daily job, let alone the NBA. Uh, I was pretty sceptical. I think most people were pretty sceptical on him in their first few games that he played early in the season. He copped a lot of, a lot of flack. He didn't look NBA ready at all, and he, he kind of just um, couldn't seem to get the offense going when he when he came into the team at the start. But man, he looks like he just put in a ton of work throughout the season. Once he got back to the G League, he he like acclimated himself really well to the system. I know he'd been in Brooklyn's G League system as well, so he he credits a lot of that to knowing the system because they play a pretty much identical system. But I just didn't think he'd be able to ever thrive the way he did, and he became a cult hero so quickly. And I just I hope they lock him in for the summer if they can get him on something similar to that Nas Reed deal. Oh, build build Rosas a statue. Well, and and you know I you bring up uh, you make a great point. Like I don't think you can say Jordan McLaughlin without also mentioning Tyus Jones because they're both you know they're both they're both backup point guards, and the team had Jeff Teague for a while, but. And, and Ty's obviously backing him up, but like, if you're going to build the team the way that Rosas wants to build the team, and that's kind of the studs and duds, and I don't mean duds in a bad way, but just, you know, the massive... Contract-wise. Yeah, yeah, the in contract-wise, exactly. Um, You can't pay the Tyus Joneses of the world seven, eight million dollars. And, and Tyus is different. I mean, if Tyus isn't from Minnesota, maybe people don't care as much, but of course, you love your homegrown product, so that was huge, and I think still there is a segment of people that think that they made the wrong decision letting Tyus go um, and teach their own. But again, like the Nasri thing, the fact that they can identify talent and say, we can put you in our program and develop you and turn you from, you know, uh, basically an undrafted player or kind of a player that's just roaming the streets into, we can build you into a guy that can make a million dollars playing basketball. That's big for their program, but it's also big for their books. I mean, you can't win unless you have cheap, successful players on your roster and McLaughlin I mean as much as I just flirted about how awesome Nas Reed was McLaughlin's play was far I mean he was a rotation player that could come in and do so many things and like you said those first like handful of games I remember Britt Robson uh who writes about the Wolves hated him and rightfully so because he was like basically he just came in and it was just a, a constant negative like he would come in team would go on 8-0 run he would come in team would go on 8-0 run the, the opponent I should say um, but something, tr- I mean, he just works hard. He just is on the ground. Um, guys that, you know, like you said, make $77,000 less than what a lot of people just make in a daily kind of blue collar job. And he was diving for loose balls, taking charges, dunking on people. I mean, when he, I can't remember who it was, but when he threw down a poster on someone, it was like, oh, okay, this kid's confidence. Like, this is how he got to where he is. So I'm with you. I don't even have a clue of like what a Jordan McLaughlin future contract looks like um because as much as we love him i mean there there's a lot of guys like that so it's not like he's gonna go out and get especially now with the salary cap however that's gonna play out he's not gonna go out and get six million dollars a year but um i'd be shocked if they didn't prioritize keeping him around with his connections to brooklyn and just how successful he was coming behind uh russell so that's that's a great howl like he was for as bad as the team was some nights he was just like if I tuned in to watch Jordan McLaughlin, imagine me telling you that last September. 
you would have been like, yeah. dude, you have a problem. So and and it's even stranger to think like he's the kind of guy who was putting bums in seats during that. Yeah, that, yeah. That <laughs> and he's like, at the start of the year, he was the fifteenth man on this team. Yeah. And now, like, I could not wait to watch Jordan McLaughlin every night when he that Clippers game. When he he dunked on um, Zubats, I think, and yeah, then he that's did like was, that yeah. one, and then he did like that one eighty kind of dunk a few minutes later, and he, he hit a three in between. I was like, "What is going on here? I am in love with this dude." He he was so much fun. I I said I definitely. Um, it was also crazy too. Like, I, I don't know how the whole that whole forty five day contract thing works. It seems like he played or was with the team for ninety days. So again, shout out to Rosas for those guys. I mean, they they managed they're kind of G League call-up guys so well by him and Keelan Martin, like, never practice. I mean, that's another thing, too. Like, imagine Jordan McLaughlin developing the way he did, and he was never allowed to practice because practice yeah, counts as a day. Crazy. Like, it's Im- almost crazy. impossible to develop that well when all you're doing is just getting game reps and you're never, like, practicing with your teammates. So uh, that's just another compliment. I'm, I know we're getting sick of those, but to the program they have. And um, he's you know it's sad as it is sometimes but he's a big piece of what they want to do going forward because they need a backup guard uh at a cheap rate but they need someone to play behind russell because russell is not the most durable guy in the world he's not physically built like some other point guards at his position so yeah it'll be a big summer like you said for rosas but um having jordan mclaughlin back next fall or next winter whenever we kick basketball up again uh that's a priority so yeah, exactly. Um, we'll just go to a few breaks first, and then we'll come back with um, some growls. Welcome back, guys. Um, obviously, we've just done all the hows. That was that was a lot of fun. Now, a little bit less fun with the growls, the things we didn't like for the season. I'll get it started. I think number one for me was was just the injuries. It's obviously not something that that's on the court or they can say, you know, the coaching staff didn't do this or that, but the injuries was just a, such a downer on this season. They were, I'm not sure the team was ever going, going to be good, but the fact, I don't think they ever had a chance without Towns. He, he played, missed about half the season. It's disappointing for him because he's been so durable over his career and he was, he was really set for a career season. He was dominant at the start of the year. It looked like, I think he was, he was top, five in MVP, you know, races for the first 20 games of the season. And that's that would have been enough to at least drag this team a little bit higher than they were. But then the, the knee injury came and he missed 18 straight games or whatever. And the, and the team handled it pretty poorly, I think. And then the, the wrist injury, obviously, at the end of the season, that really hurt him as well. So throwing guys like Jake Lehman, who missed... 75% of the season at least, who I love Jake Lehman irrationally. <laughs> uh, and then guys like Shabazz Napier missed a lot of time. I know he's not with the team anymore, but but he was missing time. Jeff Teague was missing time at the same at the same time. Okoji missed games. Even Wiggins missed games, who's known with, for the same sort of durability as Towns. So it was just one of them seasons where everything just seemed to, to fall apart. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see Injuries, was that's a great growl, by the way. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like, if the team was really trying to win last year. I know the season's kind of probably done for them, but um, how many of those injuries could have were just overly cautious? I know that they kind of revamped their medical staff 
So sometimes it was like, you know, not, I don't want to say tanking, but like how many of those could they have maybe played? But, um, but yeah, it just seems like they just got, when Jake Clayman went down, which was like a sneaky big signing for them, and he had a big, he's not the best player, but he had a big role on this team as, you know, a shooter and a cutter and a slasher. Um, it just seems like they just kept getting the injury bugs. So I hope next year when like they're, you know, there's no more tanking, they got, they're trying to win. They, you know, they don't really have that pick available to them. Uh, that maybe we'll see sometimes if it's a 50-50 situation, you'll see a guy kind of gut through it. Um, because it's just, the, if the injuries mount up, there's nothing you can do. Like I said, if a guy like Towns is out or Russell misses 15, 20 games, you really, you're just hamstrung. You just, there's only so much you can do. So, Yeah, and like I said before, Russell has been less than ideal as in a durability standpoint. So it'll be important to get, get good players behind him and it'll just just hope that the injury bug doesn't ravage this team again. Towns, I think that the I think it's strange with Towns because I'm not sure he it was late enough in the season at the start of the year to be tanking per se. I think they probably were very overly cautious with him because this team was never going to be good. Even if they hit their ceiling, they were probably going to be the eighth seed. So it, it probably made sense to leave him out for as long as he needed with a knee injury, but. I really do think the wrist injury, like obviously it came out with the, with the fracture in the wrist, but it would have just been so nice to see him and Russell get that, that 10, 12 games in because then you then you can start to evaluate what you really need next to them. Obviously, you think you need defenders because they're not very good defenders, but what kind of defender, where are the areas where they're, gonna, where they're letting up points every night? That would have been a really good thing to see and, and how efficient they will be offensively. We all think that they'll be a really good offense, but it would have been nice to actually see it in person. Yeah, you know, there was a there was a really good uh, article in The Athletic today from the always fantastic John Krasinski. Oh, but, it was um, so good. Oh my, and it, it just kept, as I was reading on my phone, it just was the longest article ever and it kept going and it was like, <laughs> but one of those articles where you're not complaining, like just keep giving me more and more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, I, I felt like legit emotions when I was reading it because there was that snippet about, you know, I, we all kind of knew Russell was staying at Towns' house and they would drive to get coffee on the way to, on the way to, as they called it, work. Just like if you and I were living together. Yeah. Um, but it, and it signaled to me, I was like, oh my God, like we saw them play like one or two games together. <laughs> like, like yeah. that for as, for as, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, the kind of the new foundation with Towns and Russell, like we've basically seen nothing. So, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just like, man, like that's like something to look forward to next year is like those guys are meant to complement one another and Russell's brought in here to not only make Towns happy off the court, but to really be like the best guard point guard he's played with in his NBA career. Um, okay. And we just haven't seen it yet. So it's like, man, I can't wait to just see, just give me like a gluttonous amount of pick and rolls with those two guys and just Towns popping or Towns cutting to the basket. It just makes me so excited for next season. I mean, regardless of how they fill, fill in the roster and sprinkle in the role players, just seeing those guys hopefully play 75 games together is going to be worth the league pass. Oh, for sure. I think at worst, they're going to be fun. At best, I think they'll be really good. And that's a pretty good baseline to have, I think, <laughs> because, because lately it's been not fun and really bad. That was it. So that, if you, you, should be hired as, you should be hired as the Wolves like business person. <laughs> PR rep or something. Uh, what was your first growl? Uh, my first growl was... Uh, you know, okay, so my first growl was the reluctance to play another big next to Towns. I know Towns, 
was out again a lot. This whole season was just kind of weird and a weird transition. But, you know, they came in and they had a, they had a, a philosophy. They wanted to spread the floor and kind of play, you know, four shooters around towns and have just, you know, cutting and movement and all that stuff. But they really just wanted towns to be the center and not to really have, you know, a, you know, the quote unquote twin towers or the, the traditional kind of bruiser power forward next to him uh, because of how they want to shoot, because of how they want to play, their style, their pace. Uh, but I just, you know, I just don't know how many more years. I still think Towns has untapped potential defensively. But when you bring in a guy like Russell, you're just creating a hole at the point of attack that he's just, I mean, Towns is going to have to protect the rim even more now. Like he doesn't have some elite point guard defender uh, in front of him. So having another guy to just take some of the pressure off of him, whether that be, you know, getting defensive rebounds, um, just banging with guys. I mean, I, you, you watch a lot of basketball. I watch a lot of basketball. And if you ever you know, get to go to a game, it's so much more physical than I think sometimes, you know, FSN or League Pass shows you. I mean, these guys take a beating when you got to go up and guard a Jokic or when you got to go up and guard, you know, another big man uh, like, you know, the DeMarcus Cousins when he was playing for the Pelicans. And there's that infamous shot of him just bullying Towns. Uh, I mean, that, that that's the whole reason Taj Gibson was around is Taj, you're going to go do all the dirty stuff so Carl can kind of kind of you know, be successful in his, in his spots. I don't know if Towns wants to be a banger. I don't know if Towns wants to, you know, put on that much weight where he's banging guys like a Zach Randolph, but I just think they need a more traditional big next to him. It, it should, it could shore up the defense a little bit. It might mess up the spacing. Um, but I mean, if you, if you got Towns and you got Russell and you got Beasley, you have so much firepower and you wrote about this a couple of days ago, just that type of offense. I think you can slide a Taj Gibson back in there and still do most of what you want to do, but not be a complete pickup, you know, YMCA sieve on defense and just run and gun. Um, because I don't think you can win without defense. And I don't know if Towns is ever going to be the defensive presence that maybe an Embiid has or even a Jokic has. So do it. Like, what do you see? You're, you're like my tape guy. Like, what do you see when you watch them play the style of basketball that they played since Rosas took over. I agree with you. It's it's understandable why they want him to to stick around at that center, and because they obviously want him to be the stretch five and have those three wings and the point guard around him. So they're trying to, I guess, just beat it into towns that you have to do this and you have to get better at it. But at some point, you've just got to experiment with other things. I think if he, it's not like you can never play towns as the lone big man again. But if you get uh, a four who can who can bang a bit, grabbing rebounds is, I think, one of the most underrated things that went wrong with this team this season. They just, so many nights where they would play good defense finally and then the other team would get an offensive rebound and get a put back. And that's so deflating as a fan and as a player to to finally get that stop and then you give up two easy ones because Towns can't out-rebound three guys and... Robert Covington's only averaging six rebounds a game and he's, you know, six foot eight and not not anywhere near the size of some power forwards in the league. I think I spoke about it last week. I think you need to get a guy who can play the four, who who's a big man as well, but also stretch out to the corner. I don't think he has to be this this amazing stretch four that hits forty percent of his threes from all over the court. But if you can stretch to the corner, that'll at least give towns 
the space he needs when he does go inside and, and sit on the block or when they're trying to get driving lanes for other guys. I think, and then that same guy can, can come onto the block himself because Towns is going to spread the floor for 90% of the time anyway. He's going to sit at the top of the key, like we said before, and and run the offense through him. So if you can get a guy who can just space out to the corner but then do all those big man things, get rebounds, block shots, cover Towns as a rim protector, that would be huge for this team. I'm not sure they'll ever do it, but I don't want to get three years down the line and then they and then they start trying to say like, oh, Towns isn't ever going to be able to do the things we need him to do. Let's try something else. When you could sprinkle a little bit of that that experiment in right now. They did it a little bit with Jordan Bell this season, but I'd like to see them bring a four in, even a bench four who's a big man and then just playing with Towns at times. Well, that'll, that'll be interesting. Like I said, you if people are listening to this and they haven't read, like Jake is the premier draft person to follow because Jake's write-ups on his little draft radar series are fantastic. But and I don't know if you've gotten to all these guys yet, but there are some interesting prospects coming up in this draft that's not a great draft, but there are guys like, you know, James Weissman and stuff that could hypothetically fit next to Towns. They might not do everything you want or, you know, that Gerson wants, but I just think there'll be some options in the in the draft class or, you know, some options in free agency with cheaper guys like one of the 30 Plumley brothers or something. But just another guy <laughs> to put next to Towns, like you said, that he doesn't have to be... You're not going to go find another Towns to play next to Carl. Like, you're not going to have two Towns going around spreading the floor, but just can protect the rim, can go to the corners, give Towns space, um, and can kind of be the tough guy, the physical presence that Towns doesn't always want to be. And that's why when I went back to J- uh, James Johnson, I think that's what he does a little bit. He can't protect the rim, um, but he can yell. Yeah, I don't think he's big enough to quite play that yeah. role, but he does it the best way that this system seems to, to warrant. Yeah, yeah. So what was uh, that was my first growl. What was yours? Am I second one? Yeah, it was Jarrett Culver. I think, obviously, a lot's been spoken about Culver. I'm still on the Culver train in general, but it was pretty. It was a pretty disappointing season for him. I don't think he can. You can get around that. He was just looked like he was such a such a great player archetype for them coming out of the draft. He was really good at Texas Tech. He was overall consensus, you know, top five, six, seven pick. So I don't think it was like they reached. I, I didn't mind the trade on draft night. I know a lot of people were pretty disappointed with it. And they obviously seemed like they were going for, for Darius Garland instead. But I was pretty happy to get Culver. The more I dug into him after the draft, I was even more happy to get him. And then he was just a bit of a mess to, to, to start this. All the way pretty much up to the after the trade deadline, he was just, just didn't look like he was ready to adapt to the NBA. And it was pretty hard to see. He seems like a really good kid and a really hard worker, so I'm not too fussed, and I don't think he he's completely shot as a player, but it was it was tough to watch. He hit 48% from the field and 41% on just under three triples a game after the deadline, so maybe that, that makeover was starting to come around a little bit, but the free throw shooting was still a mess at 50%, and it's hard to overlook how lost he looked in those 50-something games beforehand. Well, and I think when you talk about Jarrett, it's important to remember that, like, I think comp, I, you know, Dane, I remember Dane Moore tweeted this out, like, in September, October, but he, he, he mentioned something about Jarrett Culver and just confidence. Like, he's from a small town, you know, he's from Lubbock, kind of a small town guy. He's never really lived in, like, a big city. So he comes to Minneapolis, he's on the bright lights. 
Um, and then his entire summer last year was just effed. Like, the way that the NBA rules are, yeah. they're so stupid. Like, the Wolves couldn't really, like, proudly announce their new son. And he had to kind of hide. And then, he, you know, they're so cautious with his with his injuries. Doesn't play Didn't any play summer, any so summer he can't league. work on anything. And then he comes in. He has a couple, you know, str- struggling for playing time early as a rookie. But, um, yeah, then his shot. Like, everyone thinks about Jared Culver as a Wolves fan. They think his shot. Uh, and a lot of people are like, well, I can't wait till the summer so they can work on Jared's shot. I can tell you for a fact, as going to games, they were already working on Jared's shot. Like, that's a thing they're doing oh, in yeah. season. They're not like, hey, let's wait till we get to summer and we'll bring you in. Like, and, and he is. Like, the things they talk about with him as a upbeat personality and a gym, just a gym rat, he's in there. So it, I really almost think as much as I don't want to just continue to be optimistic, it might be the case of, you know, darkest before the dawn. I mean, his there were there were free throws that were just egregious. Like it was painful to watch, but it also looked like a guy that's like you have no confidence standing there. Like if if you were the only one in the building shooting those free throws, you'd probably be just lighter and feel better. But he just knew like people are watching my jump shot or my my free throw mechanics and they suck and they do suck. But I think you can fix that. He has athleticism. He's so gumby long that I think he's a perfect kind of wing player for what they want to do but he's and i'm optimistic i'm again i'm buying stock in him too but if he can't get that jumper fixed quickly it's not it's just not gonna work like he just in in the nba if you can't shoot you probably can't play on this team if you can't shoot you have no chance so i don't think they're gonna give up on him i think and we were, i don't know you and i were talking to mike uh about this earlier but all they did to move up to get him in a in a draft last year, they didn't have a ton of guys in the end of the lottery that were you know star potential. They gave up Dario Sarge, and if that's how who's pretty much being replaced by James Johnson, he's almost the same. He's the player that we thought Sarge was going to be. So that to me, it's just a bigger picture of maybe it doesn't work out, and maybe it's a, it's a strike, and uh, he's a bust. But if Gerson Rosas can continue to flip guy, like I mean, to think that you can move up in a draft and the piece you give is a Dario Sarge who is, you know, on just keeps bouncing around the league and has to get paid this summer. I mean, that's, again, a, a, a coup for Rosas, even if the Culver pick flames out. It's like, listen, we can give you, you know, a quarter, but if we can move up to try to get another, you know, in my money analogy, we can get another dollar by just trying to flip a quarter and develop this guy. That's how you find stars. Um, that And that's how you surround your current foundation of Townsend Russell with good guys. So I'm not out on Culver. His jumper is borderline not safe for work, but I think he has other intangibles, and I just think not being a rookie is going to be good for him. Just like get if if they have a summer league or however they do it this fall, just being able to get some reps in, playing against maybe lesser talent, build his confidence, dunk on some more people. Um, and we can't talk about Jared Culver without I know his development sucked, but we can't talk about him without talking about that dunk he had. That was like the best moment of the season. Just like him being like. Hey, I have I'm confident this is me. That was I mean, I think I cried when I saw it. Like that was so cool. So hopefully they get more out of that from him. Um but but you're right though. As a growl, as something you didn't like, he was very underwhelming this season. Yeah, I think he just it's easier to look back and and feel almost remorse for for how much he struggled, but when you just zoned into the game and you're annoyed that your team's losing by 20 again, he was so easy to to pick on because he just looked so lost as a rookie. And most rookies come in and they're, they're net negatives for their team. So it's not like this is rare 
It's not like no player's ever been bad in their first season and turned out to be good. So I'm not I'm not hurling myself off the train just yet, but it was disappointing to see and I wish it had been better for his sake. And I won't be surprised still if he is mentioned in trades this summer if, if Rosas is going star hunting because he still definitely has value and a lot of teams will still believe that they can they can squeeze the most juice out of him. But I do hope he is here next season because I, I don't want him to be one of them players that goes and develops into a star somewhere else and we, we look back in five years and think, you know, remember when we had Jared Culver? You know, and it's crazy too. I, we don't have to go into this, but like when you said um, going back to draft night and the team moved up and I remember like we're talking and all of a sudden Woj announces that the Timberwolves have moved up and like, oh my God, they're going to get Darius Garland. Um, and then obviously the Cavs take him a pick before, but it's, it's just kind of crazy to do the big what if of like, if Garland falls to them, how does the world look? Like, I mean, if they get Garland, are they, is, is Rosa still super high on trying to get D'Angelo Russell? Yeah. Um, how does that all work? Like, are we looking at a team right now in quarantine that has Garland and Wiggins as their backcourt? Cause that's not fun. So it's crazy to see how just one kind of domino could have affected everything. But, but yeah, I, I, I Culver, bad season, um, but I'm with you. I think he has a chance to be pretty special still, um, but he has to develop. So I'll, I'm just going to go right into my second growl. Um, yeah. It's just, I kind of talked about this already, but it's just kind of the defensive approach and the long-term outlook on that side of the ball. Again, if you haven't read Jake's piece from a couple of days ago when you wrote about kind of just can they build like a, you know, a top five offense and how, how, can that, how far can a top five offense really take them? It was a great piece, and all I kept reading when I was, or all I kept thinking when I was reading it was just like, they have to be able to play average defense. You know what I mean? Like, some sort of defense. So, yeah. you know, like, like, and you said this a little bit ago too, but like, when a team about the playing a big next to towns, like, when a team doesn't ever get stops and they finally get a stop, but then they give up an offensive rebound, like, that's just murdersome to your confidence. So, I, I I would imagine Gerson Rosas and his whole staff are far too smart to think that they can just outscore teams in 2020, especially when you have really uber-talented offensive players like Towns and Russell, but they're still not as talented as the premier offensive players in the league, like Giannis and Harden and those guys. So just thinking that we're going to drop a, a buck 40 on you tonight and that's going to be enough, I can't imagine that's Rosas's philosophy, even though I know he has the Houston ties. Um, but I really think... They have Towns. They have Russell. Neither of them may ever be above average defenders. In order to win, they're going to have to be better. But I just think that hopefully this summer you start to see more of a philosophy on getting guys in there that can get stops. Um, because I, I just, your piece may be just kind of so happy, but wow, this team could have like a historic offense. And it also made me kind of sad because like, wow, this team could really suck on defense. And it could be. You know, if they start losing a bunch of games, 140 to 135, you're going to be just as upset. Like you said, they could be fun, but it's going to suck if they keep losing those games. Yeah. So, Yeah, I think the the piece I wrote the other day, as you said, go check it out if you haven't. But it's more a top five offense is pretty much historically going to get you into the playoffs. But getting into the playoffs is shouldn't be the goal. And if you can have, you know, if you're, ranked fourth in offensive rating and 25th in, in defensive rating, you probably will sneak into the eighth seed or maybe even a seventh seed if you're lucky. But being able to defend competently is how you get to the to the fourth seed, to the third seed, to 
uh, Western Conference Finals. You know what I mean? It's not. It shouldn't be a cap on this team. Like, yeah, we just want to be perennial playoff contenders. They they want to be contenders in general, and and in that scenario, they need to get better on defense. Not only better players, but I think they need it. They need to tinker with the system a little bit. I think they need to put Towns in better positions to succeed. They need to hide Russell, which they did when they um when he came over, but also work on his game and, and find ways to to encourage him to become a better defender because I think his is more in between the years than Towns. I think Towns is more his technique and his IQ are pretty bad, whereas Russell seems to just not try as much and he's got he's got really good tools. He's long as hell for a point guard. I didn't realise how long he was until I've watched him every single night. And like he's six foot five, he's got I think he's six foot nine wingspan. So he there's no reason why he can't be a good defender. They just need to get they need to tinker with everything, get players on board, and that's the way that they go from a really good offense and a really terrible defense to a, a really good offense and an a league average defense and that's it yeah and, and you make a really good point but like you can win a bunch of games in november and january and kind of those peaks and valley times where guys are tired or looking forward to the all-star break stuff you can win a lot of games scoring a buck 40 with this offense but when it slows down and it's just you know mono mono one team versus one team in a five or seven game series um it, it, you really tighten the bolts like you got to be able to get stops you're not going to win playoff series by just constantly outscoring your opponent um, so yeah, can, can that offense get them to the playoffs, which is like basically Christmas for Timberwolves fans anyway? Yeah, but I don't think Rosas has shown any indication that he's just trying to, you know, you know this, he's not trying to build an eight seed. That's not his goal. He wasn't brought here to yeah. build an eight seed and just, you know, get fans in the seats for two extra home games. He wants to win and to win, you have to figure out the defensive thing. Like, like I said, I think in that, that article is that good teams, good offenses create good teams, but the old saying goes is defense wins championships. And I think that's case in point here. Like you said, he's not trying to build an eight seed. We as Minnesota uh, fans are kind of accustomed to losing and I'd love to be an eight seed. Next yeah, for sure. As my, <laughs> But that's, that's not the mentality that, that we should have. And that's definitely not the mentality that the team has. So to build a contender, I think you have to you have to play defense, obviously. Yeah, I'm with you. What was your uh, what was your last growl? So mine was kind of uh, around the, the coaching in general. I think I, I had a little bit in there about the defense, which we just spoke about. But I think the the run and gun three point heavy offense. I I like that scheme. I like the idea, but I don't think the actual the sets that they ran at times were were very productive as they didn't run. I don't think they ran Beasley when they got him off enough pin downs. I don't think, I don't think Towns came enough off enough, enough pin downs, which is weird for a center. But when he's stroking the ball at 40% on eight throws a game, I think they had to just do more to get guys better looks at times. It just fell into to isolation ball, shoot as many threes as you can, which is, which is fine. But the threes need to come within a flow of the of an offense rather than just just jack him up when you can and and try and get to the ring, try and get to the free throw line. I think um I do like Saunders. I think he'll he'll grow 
as he experiences being a coach more often, but he was I think he was pretty underwhelming this season. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I had <laughs> choice words for him more than more than once. But I'm I'm not out on him as a lot of people might think. But I just I think you have to do more with with the pieces that you have. I don't think you can rely on talent and rely on a, a, a basic system. I think there's got to be more intricacies inside that system, more sets. He ran some crazy good uh, after timeout sets. So and. He, we know he has it in him. We know how good Flip was and how much knowledge he shared with, with Ryan. So I'd just like to see more wrinkles in, in the actual sets on offense. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point about uh, your tweets about him because I remember some of them. They were hilarious. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this season didn't matter in terms of wins and losses, really. It's easier to say that now, but it didn't really. It was a transition year. He lost them some games by just poor execution down the stretch. Just yeah, poor, I, think, I, mean, I think that that Sacramento Kings game, that infamous game where they were up, you know, seventeen with with three minutes left or something. I think that was one of the games where it's like coaching loss in that game. He took out all the start. They were on a nine or ten game losing streak. He takes out the starters with six minutes left or something. Where it's kind of like that's a game where you just play your starters five more minutes than than you'd be comfortable with, and you get a win, and you get some some happiness in the locker room. Yeah, no, and I think you tweeted that out basically the ex- verbatim, but, like, that one really sticks out. Obviously, it sticks out that they blew a historic lead, but when you were coming out, it wasn't like they were on a six-game winning streak. It was like you'd come in with this giant losing streak, and it's like, do you really need to sit everyone at the three-minute mark, or can you just, you know, go another 120 seconds and just, just guarantee, even if, you know, even if you have to run a couple more plays for Towns and Tyron Model a bit, like you got to get that win. It doesn't matter. And a lot of that, and a lot of that is on the oh, players yeah. too. Like he should be able to trust his backups to not lose a seventeen point lead in three minutes. But it's one of them ones where you just hammer it home. And yeah, and, sure. and you know he's an extension of, of Rosas, and he's an extension of you know. I, I think people thought that he was given the job because Glenn was like, "Oh, we got to keep you know a Saunders in 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 the in the family, so to speak." Um. I, I don't agree with that. I think I think being able to relate to players, as we saw with the coach who preceded him and his lack of being able to relate to the players or connect to them, is a big thing. However, as we talked about with Jarrett, like this next season is going to be big for Ryan in his quote unquote truly his sophomore year. I mean, I know he got to coach a couple games when Tibbs was let go, but like this will be his full on sophomore season, um, and he's going to be able. I, I want to see Ryan Saunders bench D'Angelo Russell in November or whenever the season starts for a, for a end-of-game situation and let Jordan McLaughlin play if D'Angelo Russell is not playing defense. Like, that's, I think, the growing yeah. level for coaches. When can you – in in that piece today with John Krasinski, like, that's when D'Angelo Russell grew was when Kenny Atkinson was really hard on him. So can can Ryan be hard on people? Because we know he can have fun with them and play volleyball on the beach of the Bahamas. But can he sit Towns if Towns is just yeah. constantly not p- protecting the rim? Can he sit Russell and tear him a new one on the and tear yep. him a new one on the bench? Like, can you can you show that you're not only the friend and the leader, but you're the boss? Right. And yeah. The I mean, some of the well. best some of the best friendships. I mean, even you and I, like, we got to know each other. Like, if something I do sucks, you just tell me. Like, if you're if you had something you wrote about, I'm like, I don't like that. Here's the thing. That's the strongest friendships is being able to tell those people too. When it's not good, yeah. when it's bad, that's how a relationship works. It can't just yeah. be Ryan's in place because he's so optimistic and he's their age and 
He connects. No, Ryan's got to be able to adult these guys because, again, they're one of the youngest teams in the league. They need an adult. And that's why I love James Johnson, but that's why I think – and that's why I think James Johnson is an extension of Ryan. I think you have more adult veterans that can kind of get Ryan's message, and maybe Ryan won't grab Russell by the jersey and yell at him, but maybe James Johnson can. But I think yeah, adulting yeah, and I not – I don't want to say discipline. These are professional athletes, but that's a big step for Ryan because I think it's impossible for someone to question Ryan's basketball knowledge. I mean, I, you can say whatever you want about you know the country club mentality that Glenn – Taylor's had, but Ryan Saunders knows basketball. He's been watching basketball film with his dad much longer than you and I have. But yeah, I don't like that that stigma that he was given the job because just because he's Flip's son. Like he's been an assistant coach for a long time, and a lot of people around the league have good things to say about his schemes and his knowledge of the game. So to question his ability as a coach, I think is a bit harsh, but. I'd definitely like to see more out of him. A few tweets. I, I put it out on the interwebs last night who um who just a few hows and growls from a, from a few guys. So we'll get into one to start off. Uh, Yo Leo, who's a loyal Kane Supers commenter, and, and Min Timberwolves, M-I-N Timberwolves on Twitter. They both said that the, the dismissal of, of Kater Bates Diop or his trade, which I do agree with. I, I understand he was... Probably a necessary piece to to throw in either money wise or maybe maybe Denver Denver wanted him to get Malik Beasley, but KBD was such a cool player and just a really easy guy to root for. So I understand that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, and I'm guilty of this more than anyone because I don't I like him so risk averse. I don't like change, but I think when you are a fan of a team that sucks all the time, you start to form bonds and relationships with players that. Might not be as good as you think. So, like, I thought, you know, for yeah. where he was drafted in the second round, it's pretty obvious now that uh, Canada was uh, was a steal at that pick. But then, you know, they, and they don't play the same position, but then I watch what Nas Reed does or Jordan McLaughlin. It's like, you know what? There's a lot of KBDs out there. Like, as much as I love him and as a person, I got to talk to yeah. him in the, in the locker room a couple times. He's a really great guy. But there's a lot of those guys. And if they don't result in direct winning and play above kind of their talent level they're replaceable so i know i know when he was thrown in the trades it was like never truly explained like oh man could we have kept him around um but you know it's, it's kind of the cost of doing business and i i think when we look back like it'll just be a asterisk on the trade that was landing a guy like beasley who was kind of hidden in the rocky mountains but has well, he was pretty much saying Beasley's pretty much playing the same role as KBD, and that kind of shows you how much more you can get out of players from good teams rather than players who have been, I guess, playing above their limits on a bad team. Because Beasley's playing fifteen to twenty minutes for Denver, and he comes to Minnesota and he's a star. Whereas if if Bates Diop was that star, yeah, yeah, he would have known right now. What's your next one? Um, the next one, our friend and and Kane's contributor Joe Hulbert, he he didn't like the crowbarring of players into a system that didn't fit them. I think we kind of have spoke about that a little bit. It's it's a good it's a good one because it's obvious it hurt the team at the start of the season, and which pretty much not derailed their season, but it, it it stopped them from ever having a chance to truly be a good team before the trade deadline because no one on that team fit with the system, and maybe if they tailored the system more towards the individual players that they had. They would have won more games, but 
I don't mind getting the system in place because they obviously knew they were never going to have Trevion Graham and Noah Vonley as as big parts of their team. So they just wanted to get the foundation in place and then um and then go from there with the trade, which is which is the same thing that Logan Alton, who um he's my friend as well, he he typed in the same kind of thing, but he was on the opposite end, whereas that that rigid system kind of got players who who did stay after the trade deadline. It got them comfortable already with how this team was going to play and with how the system worked. Yeah, and I think without nerding out too much about business one hundred and one, like I think it's a I think that's the strategy. Like when you see a, a a new person take over as a CEO of a company, the successful ones aren't the ones that come in and clean house and put all their people in there. They come in and they see okay, which one of you. How many of you can fit my new structure, my new, my new strategy, my new kind of uh, plan? And I think that's what Rosas did. I mean, to, to I don't want to say this, but like to Tim's credit, he kind of did that too his first year when he came in. He's like, okay, I'm just going to let Ricky Rubio and Zach Levine and all these guys play. And I want to see which one of them can fit my system. Now, he might have traded the guys away that he was wrong. Maybe he should have traded you know, Wiggins instead of Levine. But I think that's what Rosas did too. He's like, this is how we're going to play basketball. Which one of you can successfully play at that level? What kind of gems do I have? I think you yeah. realize the team didn't have a lot of good players, and that's not really shocking. Like, go back and look at their opening day roster. They don't have a lot of great players. Everyone was down on Wiggins, and then, yeah, well, I mean, the Vonleys of the world, again, are so replaceable and interchangeable. He wasn't just going to pop six years into the league. So he tried to make it work, and that's why I think it's good news for Josh Akogi. Maybe he's flipped down the road. Who knows? But I think they said, okay, Josh might not be the premier shooter uh, for a wing player, but I think he can play enough great defense that really complements guys like Russell, guys like Beasley. So I, it's a good point about plugging you know, squares into circle holes, but I also think it was strategic. It let him see what he had, and he realized, I got I to gotta change out all the ingredients in the cupboard because this isn't going to work. Yeah, and I think he's... Yeah, obviously John talked about it in that article, but you think about how turbulent Towns' career has been already. Having a season where he played one system for half the season and then they traded for Russell, and obviously he got injured, but but in this hypothetical, he doesn't. And then he has to change system again and all of a sudden he's, he's thrust into a different offensive role. That's not helping your star player. The best thing for Towns was to be like, "This is how we're going to play. Yeah, you're going to be at the top of the key on offense. You're going to you're going to launch threes, and then on defense, we're going to run the drop scheme. You're going to get good at it, or you know, we're going to we're going to sink. Like we're going to swim, or we're going to sink, and we want you to swim this way." Yeah, that's a good point. I really like that. Yeah, um, I think that that's will probably be about it. We're at an hour and eight minutes, so it's a pretty pretty decent podcast time i think um it was a, it was a really really good chat with you it's been a long time coming we obviously always um chatting over twitter and stuff but we haven't actually got to podcast together or or have a good chat face to face so i had a lot of fun today yeah and i'm excited like i said if for people listening like continue to subscribe to this i think jake has hit it out of the park and like what this is your third part yeah this is the third one so from now on it'll be on all the podcast networks that you get it from Spotify, iTunes, all of that stuff. So obviously with the SB Nation podcast network now, so that's a big development. But yeah, you can, you can get it wherever. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, man. And uh, everyone out there, stay safe and thanks for listening.